So we're looking at love. Verses starting in verse 14 of chapter three. Ready for this reason, I bow my knees before the father or I fall on my knees from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Or the family or the whole family is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Way of introduction, let's do a little word association. You know, you can play word association. What's really fascinating about this is that we learn that when words get associated with each other, they seem to be inseparable. You can't take them apart. So let's let's go through this. So if I said salt, now, don't remain quiet. Shout out what's the first word pops in your mind, right? Salt and peanut butter and Batman and Adam and Eve. Adam and who? Let's make sure we're on the same page. All right, Hyde and pros and... So we could go on and on with this all day long and playing that word association, right? But let me ask you this question. What do people think of when they hear this word? Church. Now keep it to yourself. Let me tell you why. Because the word that you're thinking of, and many of you have that word in your mind now, it's not going to be the same for everybody. It's based on your experience, past and present, if it's bad or good, and somewhere in between. So it's based on your prior experiences in church, with with churches, and with people. So it's not going to be the same. But let's take hold of this thought this morning. What if we could link church and the word love together so closely associated that they would be inseparable, that when the world heard the word church, love would be the first word they would think of and associate with church. That seems to be a real tough assignment to do. Because if we were around the room this morning, when I say church, you say the first thing that pops in your mind, it's not going to be the same. But what if we could do that? That even unbelieving people will go, oh, church and love. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first step is that we must experience love here together in church. That's the first step. We learned last week that we can experience peace through the enjoying of the Holy Spirit, who is our peace. And now we're going to look at about experiencing love together. Look at the text once again. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's interesting because the natural posture or the normal posture for Jewish and early Christian believers was not to kneel. It was to stand and get this Baptist with their hands raised. Look in Scripture for yourself. See what it says. Raise your holy hands because it's a, that's an act of surrender. And why do you think the police tell you put your hands up? They want to see what your hands are doing, but it's almost an act of surrender. Hey, I'm okay. I'm not going to do anything. But that was not the normal posture for Christians or even the Jewish people back in the Old Testament. 
So what we have is a, a painting of a picture here. It's more like worship than a petition. What I mean by that, by the bending of the knee, you're showing submission to someone else's lordship. I mean, when I get down on my knees, that's an act of submission. An act of surrender. It's physically, I'm physically kneeling, acting towards someone's submission. So this is really an act of worship that he's doing here. And we can read about it in Scripture, for example, in Ezra. Ezra 9, 5 says about how he knelt when he prayed. And Daniel, he knelt when he prayed. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knelt there in the garden. We can see that going on, but it's an act of submission that he's doing here. But why is he doing that? And he goes on to talk about the authority, because he's bowing before God because of God's authority. Look in verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Isn't it interesting that he uses the word family? What he's speaking about here is the Old Testament and the New Testament. All the believers from both those Testament times, believers now who are living, believers who passed on, the whole family. That's why some translations were into that, the whole family. And what it's showing us is God's comprehensive power and control. Because when he names the family, that's showing that he created that. It's kind of like an artist signing his autograph to a portrait. It's showing who he is. So what we have here is God's comprehensive control and power over all things, any social structure, be it on earth or in heaven. He has control over it because he created it. You are the creation of God. That's right, you heard me. You are a creation of God. You're not a product of some evolutionary chain. You were woven together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139, and formed for a reason, for a purpose, to know God and to glorify God, which is the chief end of man. That puts value and worth on you. And if there's anything in our society that you can see very clearly and blatantly is we have devalued human life to such a point, it doesn't matter anymore for people to take each other's lives. You have people killing each other with guns. Why is that? We have devalued human life to such a point. It's become cheap. But it's not cheap. Look at the cross of Christ. Look how far God was willing to go with all of humanity to redeem his creation. Look how he treats all of us in this room, how he constantly reaches out to us. When we fail time and time and time again, he continues to reach out and say, please come back. It's amazing, isn't it? That's the reason John Newton would write, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Look, it says in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. <laughs> that is telling us about the character of God's giving. He gives in super abundance. And any time he gives, it does not uh, lessen it. It doesn't make it less powerful. He continues to give because his glory goes on and on and on. He gives according to his riches, to his economy. Has no, his, his grace has no limits. His grace is surely past be, beyond anything we can comprehend. That grants you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That inner being. 
You see it talked about in verse 17 as the heart. What he's talking about here is the innermost place of your being. What makes you tick? How do you think? What you believe? Because your behavior will indicate what you believe. Your beliefs impact your behavior. Think about it this way. People will always constantly run to the Bible to prove that their behavior is okay. They'll get involved in behavior over here and then try to justify themselves by going over the Scripture, ripping something out of context, saying, see, the Bible says I can do this. No, for us who believe the Bible... We need to go to the Bible and let it form our ethics, our behavior, rather than our understanding telling us what we should or shouldn't do. See, our theology must inform and influence our ethics, not the other way around. If you ever get in a discussion with somebody with this, ask them this, because they'll tell you, well, I don't believe the Bible. And you start talking about behavior and patterns, and then they'll quote scripture to you. And then you say, wait a second, you told me you don't believe the Bible. How can you bring somebody to an argument that you said by your own admission you don't believe in? That's an oxymoron. So we see here to be strengthened in our hearts. So he's, he's praying for this. Why is that? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the reason why he's asking you to be strengthened by the Spirit in your inner being, that place where he dwells. And by the way, Christ resides there. Not Christ. Christ is really at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. His Holy Spirit now takes up residence in our hearts. But to truly be at home in our heart, what does that require? We must ask through this before we go on. That requires that he has full access to your heart. Everything that you hide from everybody else, he has direct access to. He knows fully what you're thinking. He has all that. And to be fully his is to open up every single room, every area of our life and say, God, it is yours. If you're like me, what you tend to do is you invite him into the foyer because you spend up time cleaning up the foyer. And it looks pretty good. And you might tuck him into the living room because, you know, living room you keep really nice and pretty. You tell the kids you're going to beat them to death. And they mess it up because we got company coming. we got to make it look good. But when it comes to our bedroom, no, you can't go in there. It's too messy. And that's what we do to God sometimes, isn't it? God, you come in this far, but you've got to stop right here. Come in and make me feel good. Show me your love. Show me your forgiveness. But when it comes to my behavior or this other area of my life, God, don't tell me how to live my life. Just let me feel good. We're not letting them the foyer the living room, but we're not letting them into our Bedroom, the most intimate places of our lives. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded, are firmly established in love. And here it comes. Verse 18. May have strength to comprehend, to know, to grasp. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Notice how that's constructed. And your English translations render this out. Look back before it says breadth. What's the word right before that? The word the, the article, right? It's called an article in the language. 
And it renders here in this translation, also in the Greek, that there's only one article for all those things. So it should be seen as one whole. So what he's getting at here is not talking about spatial dimensions. We only have three, by the way. This list four. We call it 3D. You ever heard of such a thing? But here he's talking about four. Why is that? Because he is trying to describe something so infinite, so big, that it defies all these things. That's his point. And the context of this passage would tell us it is the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. For us to love each other the way God commands us and desires, first we have to experience that love of Christ for ourselves because naturally that type of love does not happen. You can't love like God loves on your own strength. It's impossible to do it. Because you know why? Oh, remember when you first started dating married couples? I'm going to rain on you guys' parade here in a minute. You get all those happy feelings. Woo-hoo, he called. Yes. You go on a date. You can't wait to see each other. Get all excited. But then you get married for a few years. And you start rubbing each other wrong. Well, I can't believe you didn't flush the toilet. I didn't believe you didn't. You know, all these little things are sticking out. Sorry, you can laugh. This is life, right? It happens, doesn't it? It's life. Don't look at me like that, guys. You've got the same thing going on in your house. Don't look at me like that. All right? Starts wearing out. If you're not careful, most of the disagreements that Tammy and I have start off something so simple and escalate to something it's just like, why, why are we even fight about this? We'll start with something as simple as squeezing the toothpaste tube. Don't squeeze it from the top. Squeeze it from the bottom. Work your way up. Or the toilet paper. Does it come off the top or you put it so it comes off the bottom? And it will escalate. And if I'm not careful, I'll get so angry, I'm not even paying attention to what I'm saying. And that's when the damage can be done. But I am to love her as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians tells us. For me to love her that way, see, because my pride is getting in the way. I don't want to be hurt. I want to prove myself right. By golly, I'm the man. I'm the man of the house. You do what I... And all those things come up. My point being is, when we try to love in our own strength, we can't do it because pride gets in the way. But with the love of God, pride is no longer there. We look at each other first, consider each other's needs before we consider ours. I learned a long time ago in a, in a kid's program, similar to Blast, the word joy, J-O-Y, stood for Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Learned that when I was 10 years old, and I still know it today. So we need to experience that love of Christ, someone who accepts you, and welcomes you in. See, when you come to Christ for salvation, it's not that you get all your stuff in order and say, okay, I can go now. No, Christ goes, come like you are to me and let me clean you up. And he will. And you experience that love firsthand. And as we come together as a church, we experience that love with each other. This love of Christ that surpasses knowledge And together we experience that love. In fact, I would tell you, the love that we're reading about here, 
is the same love that we should experience here every time we come together. How can that be, Tim? Easy. As we come together, what do we do? We support one another. We encourage one another. We pray with each other. We laugh with each other. We weep with each other. We experience life together. That's what church is. See, church is not just a building It's not even a group of people. It's where we come together to experience the power and the transformative power of God's love. As is expressed through the body. We can experience that. That love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Remember that word association that we did earlier? Let's go back and look at the text. It's a verse. Let me make sure I get it right. Is verse 18. When we think of God's love, what a great love he's described here, imagery he has used, but how would you, is it, is it wider than what? What would you say? Is it wider than the ocean? Wider than the universe? No matter what you think of, God's love is wider. It's longer than what? Longer than time, longer than all known history, longer at the line of the DMV. God's love is so much longer. Look at the next one. Higher than the what? The highest mountain? Higher than Mount Everest? Higher than the moon? No matter what you think of, God's love is higher. How about deeper? Deeper than the deepest part of the sea. You know, I served in the United States Navy and they had the quartermaster, and he'd have a chart of the ocean there. And all so, so often you see these little blue numbers everywhere. It was telling you soundings that they took of the ocean, telling you how many fathoms there are. Now, this is all declassified, so I don't have to worry about telling you anything that's secret anymore. But our submarine could go about 1,000 feet down, around 1,200, about as far as you wanted to go. We would take a sounding sometimes. It would come back 22,000 fathoms. Now, there's six feet per fathom. Now, do the math. We're down 1,000 feet. There's still another 12,000-some-odd feet below us. And there's parts of the ocean where there's a question mark. And I asked the guy, I said, Mahoney, what's that mean? That's the quartermaster at the time. He said, Tim, they have no idea how deep it is because no soundings ever come back. Take a sounding. They just send out a ping and never, never hear it. So no one knows how deep it is. Think of that for a second. God's love is deeper than that. So God's love is wider, longer, higher, and deeper than anything you can possibly think of. That surpasses knowledge. He is writing this to a group of believers living in Ephesus. We talked about this last week. A very fast-paced city. A city where they're surrounded by all different forms of religion and various philosophies. They're a multicultural group themselves, very diverse, and they're coming together trying to figure out how they can interweave their lives with each other and live out their faith. Likewise, we're here joined together 
interweaving our lives together, learning how to live our, our faith. So this love of God, this love of Christ, you can never fully comprehend it because if you, if you could, that means there has a beginning and the end, but there is no beginning and end with his love. Always has been, always will be. There's no date of origin and no date of, of ending. It always will and always shall be. And we are to grow in that day in and day out. So you never get, you never, you never stop growing in that, in that grace and love of Christ. It's always more and more to, to, to learn and to experience. He's never exhausted. You can't exhaust his love. There is no limit on his love. We are to grow in it. So how can we change that? Church and love being linked together. We must experience that love here. That means we put each other before ourselves. That means that we come humbly with expectation that God's going to be here and meet with his people. That we are willing to let down our guard and be open with God and honest with God and with each other. And when we do that, make ourselves vulnerable like that, there is a kind of a scary, to make yourself truly vulnerable, it, it, I admit, it is kind of scary. Because of fear of rejection. Very strong fear. But when we do that, we open ourselves up to know God and each other's ready authentically. Not superficially, because you know the real me. Why do couples who stay married together end up so close together? It's because they see each other through the good and through the bad. And the other person knows they've been with me. They've been faithful. I know they will stand by me no matter what. That's why it should be in the church. Because God's told me, he tells us in his word, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you everywhere that you go. That's his promise. One more word association in closing. What would you think of this? Forsberg Baptist Church. And what would you fill in? Hmm. My prayer is that it will ever be people living by faith. Who are known by their love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. John thirteen thirty five. You know, if you look through human history, every once in a while, even the secular world gets it right. John Lennon, one of the Beatles, wrote a lot of songs about love. All the world needs is love. That's true. But see, they don't need human understanding and human definition of love. What they need to see expressed and lived out is the love of God. All we do, if all we do, if, if all we do is come in here Sunday after Sunday, sing a few songs, Shake a few hands, give a few hugs, and walk out with no apparent change in our lives, then we're missing the point. But if we gather together, 
with that openness and expectation that we're going to experience the power, transformative power of God's love as we see expressed in each other. By the way, we can see that love of God in each other when sometimes we can't see the see it clearly in our lives for ourselves. If we meet with that, then we're on to something. The worst thing we can do is to come in with all our baggage. You know what we do? Let me end with this. This is going to be my concluding illustration. There was a skit that I saw done at a youth rally one time. And they all came on their knees. They all came in like this. And they came walking in. And the, and the pastor came on his knees. And he comes walking in. Like, what's the skit about? And through the course, the guy stood up and said, I found out that God has given us legs. Look, you have legs too. And one by one, they got excited and started jumping up. And down. I can run, I can walk, I got legs. But when they left out of service, you know what they did? Got right back on their knees. That's a, what, a lot of what we do. We get in here, we experience God, and we say yes, but then we walk out with the same baggage that we put down. We pick it right back up and walk right back out. My prayer is that won't happen to you today or for the rest of the time here. That every time we meet, we experience that love so profoundly in so intangible way that we've been, we will know without a shadow of doubt we're in the presence of Almighty God himself. So my question to you. Have you experienced that love of Christ for yourself? And that peace that comes, knowing that no matter what comes your way, there's nothing, the book of Romans tells us, that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, not even, no scheme of man, no power of hell can snatch you out of his hands. Perhaps you've done that, but there's other things in your heart you haven't really opened up. And so here it all is. I'm tired of dealing with it, God. I give it over to you. When are we going to quit doing things ourselves and expecting different results? We can hand over to God and say, God, you got it. Have it. And that's on an individual basis and as a corporate basis. Maybe you need to go to pray with somebody here. Maybe you need to come up here and pray. We call this an altar not because we offer animal sacrifices. We call it an altar because this is where we lay down our lives and say, God, it's yours, not mine. I've been bought with a price by the precious blood of Christ. My very life is not my own. Heavenly Father, I pray, dear God, that everyone in this room right now will fill your mighty arms of love and peace wrap around them. That no matter what they're going through, Father, you would remind them that you're with them every step of the way. And that your love for them is wider, higher, deeper anything they can possibly imagine. I pray that your spirit will continue to move in this service. Father, continue to speak to us. Move and shape us into the men and women you've called us to be 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?